to the PID webinar. This is another occasion for us to try and spend our COVID days learning things, trying to understand what's happening in the world. So we are returning today after a long time, after about two months, to the subject of COVID, to try and understand how the world might shape up after COVID, or you, how to get out of COVID. So whichever way you look at it, we are trying to discuss the issue of COVID and possible recovery scenarios. We've got three people on our panel. We've got um, Khaled Malik, a former UN official, a well-known Pakistani economist who has served in the UNDP in many um, uh, capacities. Most important, he was a res rep in China, but then another important success that he um, authored the famous world, uh, the Human Development Report by Dr. Marie Blatt. So Khaled Malik ran that for two or three years. <clears throat> After Khaled Malik, we'll have Dr. Akmal Hussain. I don't think anybody uh, needs to know who Dr. Akmal Hussain is. He is one of Pakistan's leading economists. He has been on the scene in, in larger than life as an academic. He has published widely, spoke widely, and is a very well-known and revered economist. Following that, we will have PID's Muhammad Nasir, who will present what PID has done on the COVID recovery scenario and uh, we've made some concrete predictions and things. Unfortunately, we've got a big panel, but we have, uh, how should I say, short time. So I would re request my speakers to take no more than 10 to 15 minutes to get on, uh, you know, to introduce their idea, thoughts, you know, just say what they want to, and then we'll take questions from you people. So uh, with that, without further ado, I will introduce COVID recovery. Let us begin, Khalid, with you. Khalid, you have the floor. Uh, anyhow, good morning from the US and uh, good evening to you guys. Assalamu alaikum. Um, really, Nadeem, thank you so much and for this uh, great initiative you've been supporting and uh, getting uh, conversation going about development and economics in Pakistan, which is so sorely needed. Uh, let me highlight a few things. Um, re recently, and I sent that uh, joint uh, note I did with uh, Professor Petrosi, a very eminent French economist, on how do you look at COVID recovery as if people matter? And that's not easy to do. You know, the funny thing is, it's very easy to subsidize the rich, but very difficult to try to support the poor. And this is true not just in Pakistan, but also uh, across the board in many countries. I think what is clear is COVID is here to stay. It's not going away in a hurry. We do not know the projections, whether it's a year, two years, three years. What it is uh, clear is that you cannot recover without throwing away the rule book. And one part of the rule book, which is particularly pertinent uh, to uh, Pakistan is debt. And I think we have to just get rid of this idea there's a certain uh, expected level of debt, there's a certain desirable level of debt. Huh? Uh, so if you look at globally what has happened is advanced countries have now committed 10 to 20% of their GDP to COVID recovery, economic health issues, about $10 trillion. But when you look at developing countries here, they have not been able to manage anything more than one percent of GDP for COVID recovery. So I like to submit that we have to think much more boldly for Pakistan. We have to think of at least 5% of GDP. And this is something I've also been talking to people like uh, 
Amartya Sen and Arvind Subramaniam, that we have to developing countries have to think of uh, at minimum five percent of GDP to be part of the full recovery. And I know in Pakistan, of course, the the IMF strictures and, and Nadim knows that very well. But I'm, I think there there's a way to deal with that as well. So that's the first point. And then if that basic premise is accepted that we have to go big in order to get out of this hole, what do we do with that 5% GDP? And fundamentally, we have to think of what I call transformative actions. I've long taken the view that development is fundamentally about transformation. And transformation is, happens when you empower people, health, education, access to markets, so they can do more with their lives, what they call uh, capabilities. And this is something uh, human development thinking is very well grounded and has been a long, uh, uh, long experience of uh, global uh, uh, efforts uh, to promote human development. So the first big thing which we can do is do the unthinkable. Introduce universal healthcare in Pakistan. We may not be able to do it all immediately. And, you know, other countries have demonstrated that you can do universal healthcare at low levels of income. Second, in one of the global reports I did, uh, we showed that when North uh, Europe, particularly Scandinavian countries, introduced universal education, their per capita levels were lower than what Pakistan and India are now. So there's no argument that we are too poor to afford to do this thing. I would like to turn the thinking around and say, we, if we are poor, we have to do that in order to get out of poverty. So the second point uh, which one could think about is that health infrastructure. You cannot overcome the reality of Pakistan that we have a limited health infrastructure and most of the money is in hospitals. You know, I was when uh, some years ago when we launched the global report in uh, Mexico, with the president of Mexico, I met with the, uh, 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 the minister of economy who was formerly the minister of health. He said, look, it took him five years to finally realize that health is too important to leave to doctors, like war. You should not leave it to generals. So you have to think of transformative actions. We can think of other transformative actions. Uh, we have to unbundle the supply conditions of, hello, am I, have I lost someone? No, no, we, are, we can hear oh, you. Okay. So we have to unbundle the supply condition of uh, textiles or small engineering goods sector to uh, find ways to unleash the supply response. Because you have a funny situation, you devalued the currency, but other sectors have not come up. So you have to look at both the demand side and the supply side. All this is to say that uh, even diehard, uh, I shouldn't talk about this, but even diehard uh, monetary specialists, especially those uh, educated in Chicago and otherwise, now are beginning to understand that money matters and it matters how monetary policy is handled. But if we can take actions which will grow the economy, then we can put Pakistan on a very different uh, trajectory by focusing on small farmers, by focusing on uh, things, four or five actions, which will transform the conditions of future growth and future development. So in some ways, uh, crisis is too important to miss out in terms of 
pushing policies because only in crisis do policies shift. And this is a very large crisis in front of us. And if we take advantage of this, we can then lay in some basis for a different kind of economy in Pakistan. I think um, for too long, and everyone knows this, Pakistan has been going up and down with a very narrow band. I think over the next few years, we should be aiming at the 8 to 10% growth rates in Pakistan, but growth rates which actually benefit a large number of people, not a small group of people. Because that has implication of macroeconomics, and that has the implication of how an economy should look. I'll stop at this point because I really want to hear what others have to say. Thank you. But uh, this uh, joint article I did with uh, uh, Professor Pitosi, uh, uh, Nadim has a copy of it, and we'll be happy to circulate that to others. We will be circulating it, absolutely. In fact, Nabil, if you have it, please just put it on in the chat. Um, otherwise, I'll send it. Akmal, thank you very much. After that uh, wonderful introduction, Akmal, why don't you start? Thank you, uh, Nadim. Uh, Khalid and I have been uh, talking over WhatsApp these last few days uh, about the numbers and some of the initiatives that can be taken. Let me uh, start with uh, uh, a simple but unconventional proposition. And that is that in the very act of pulling out of the COVID crisis, we can and we should restructure the economy in such a fashion that it generates high rates of growth on the basis of the talent come out of COVID-19, not only to build an economy that is uh, resi resilient to pandemics, but we need to restructure the economy in such a way that it works for the people. It, we must make it an economy for the people and by the people, rather than an economy for and by the elite. That's my first proposition. Now, how do we go about doing this? Uh, uh, this 5% uh, of GDP that Khalid has talked about uh, comes to around 2,000 billion rupees uh, a year. And uh, this uh, money should be spent not just on building a health infrastructure. By the way, in building the health infrastructure, uh, we're really talking about going down to the grassroots level, uh, you know, to the basic health units, upgrading basic health units, uh, the seal level uh, hospitals, uh, building a, a large cadre of a cadre of uh, uh, volunteers of the kind that Prime Minister Imran Khan had initiated, uh, who can do uh, tracing and identification uh, in future uh, pandemics. And so, if you do that, if you build that kind of infrastructure, apart from constructing hospitals and so on, what you will do is you'll generate a large amount of employment in the process of uh, 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 providing this health infrastructure. The second thing is that I think it's about time, and I've been arguing this for the last five years with a lot of evidence, that we need to, the government needs to declare, announce the universal provision, not just of healthcare, but of education and also social protection. Uh, we can start with healthcare, but we also need social protection right away. Uh, this money, this 2,000 billion rupees a year that we're talking about, part of it should be spent on providing security, social security, 
and protection and unemployment benefits to the bottom 45% of the people who I think are now below the poverty line. The 45% of the population that is poor has to be provided support and opportunities for developing their talents and opportunities for employment. That's my, that's my second point, that we need to have announced the universal provision of healthcare, education, and social protection. Social protection includes not, not just uh, uh, unemployment benefits, it also includes pensions, by the way, state pensions. And I think we need to do this on an urgent basis because how can you have growth and how can you sustain an economy in which the majority of the people are deprived of the minimum conditions of civilized human existence? And I think if, if the prime minister was to announce this, you'd, uh, health, education, and social protection, uh, he'll go a long way in, in restructuring the economy that works for the people. My third suggestion, the third initiative that can be undertaken uh, with this money that we have uh, is to uh, design uh, agriculture growth strategy that shifts away from the traditional elite farmer strategy that we have been following for the last 70 years uh, towards a small farmer strategy. Now, small farmers, uh, once it, I mean, less than 25 acre farmers, small and medium farmers constitute something like 97% uh, of the total number of farmers in the country and uh, they operate over 60% of the total farm area. So there's a huge, there's a, there's a huge part of the agriculture economy. And this is precisely that sector, which uh, that uh, class of people who have the greatest potential for increasing yields. Uh, and uh, we need to uh, uh, initiate policies through which uh, we can provide high quality inputs, uh, credit, uh, 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 technologies through which they can uh, not only improve their water use efficiency and go into tunnel farming for high value added crops, but can also diversify the, the, the agriculture economy towards uh, dairy farming and livestock production uh, for exports. Now, if you do that, uh, if you provide these technologies and these, uh, these skills and these facilities uh, to the small farm sector, uh, you will have high rates of agriculture growth that are based on, on the enterprise of the people rather than just the elite. Uh, and at the same time, you will get a more export-oriented agriculture growth. Uh, so I think small, the small farm sector is a very important sector which has been ignored and we need to move into it. The fourth, my fourth uh, suggested initiative with this money that you have, this fourth initiative would be to support, sorry, what do you think? I can't hear you, Nadeem. Uh, the, the, can everybody hear me, by the way? Yes, sir, we can, we can hear you. Fine, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. There is, an there is an institutional arrangement that can be uh, made to provide the kind of support I was mentioning to the small farm sector. And that is the establishment of uh, small farmer development corporations uh, in every province and, and every district. Uh, and what these small farmer co development corporations would do is that they, they, the government should uh, provide loans for them to put as equity into these uh, 
uh, uh, corporations. Uh, so they would be owned by the poor, but they would be run by professionals. And these small farmer development corporations can provide to the small farm sector the kinds of technologies I was telling you about, drip farming, tunnel farming, uh, uh, better land use, uh, 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 credit for better quality uh, um, seeds, uh, enable them to do marketing, but get better prices in the marketing process. And at the same time, diversifying towards milk uh, and milk production, uh, uh, milk products, as well as livestock. Now, if you look at Pakistan uh, geographically, we are at the hub of a milk deficit crescent. There's milk deficit on the le on on our western uh, side, on our northern side, and on on our either eastern side beyond India towards Southeast Asia. So, uh, if these farmers uh, could uh, increase their uh, yield per acre, yield per animal, and increase the number of animals they have. Uh, and if you could help them to process this milk and export the milk and milk products, uh, you will have very high rates of growth that are export oriented. And, and it is precisely the small, the small farmers who can contribute to this higher growth and uh, higher rates of exports. My final suggestion is the support of small scale manufacturing enterprises. Here again, they're employment intensive. Uh, they can produce high value added goods if uh, you provide the right kind of support services and they, they are export oriented. So we need to, to build common facility centers, support centers uh, for the small, uh, small uh, industry sector just as we're doing in the case of the small farm sector in, in, in these suggestions. So if you do this, if you take these initiatives with the money that is being proposed here, then what you will do is that you will actually be restructuring the economy uh, in such a way that you generate high rates of growth on the basis of the talent and enterprise uh, of the people. Uh, this, this growth will be driven by the people rather than by the elite only. And it will be an export-oriented uh, growth. Uh, and at the same time, it will build an economy that is resilient. I mean, if you provide uh, a universal healthcare, education, and social protection, you're, you're, we're talking about a pandemic-resistant resist, economy here. So I think I'll end here. Well, sir, thank you very much. Very nice discourse. Uh, number of suggestions, number of important ideas. Um, Nasir Saab, are you there, Muhammad Nasir? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Nasir Saab, you have yes, Okay, quickly, go ahead. Yes, sir, thank you so much. Uh, I think before we talk about the projection that we made uh, through our pipe study, uh, we should understand uh, and first talk about what are the vulnerabilities that were exposed by the uh, COVID-19. So I do agree with the, with the points raised by uh, the co-panelist. Uh, I think the COVID-19 exposed vulnerabilities in our health sector. So when we faced this pandemic, we realized that, okay, we have less number of ventilators, less, uh, less number of uh, ICU beds, uh, we face vulnerabilities in education sector. Now that we go online, there is an uproar from student or by carting the classes because uh, people in far-flung areas don't have access to technology, whether it's internet or the uh, computer or laptop. There are job vulnerabilities. We see that uh, the most vulnerable uh, were the ones who were laid off. Uh, we see that our 
occupations are, are not set up in such a way that we can work remotely. So only 18 to 19% of our occupation can work remotely. We saw that our local government system is not good enough to identify the most vulnerable where we can uh, deliver them the money even through a SAS program. So these are some of the vulnerabilities that have been exposed through this pandemic. And I agree with Akmal Saab that maybe this pandemic actually brought an opportunity uh, to restructure our uh, economy and the, the administrative system as well. Now, giving uh, a little background of uh, what we are projecting for the next year is that because the situation is very fluid, uh, and so we have to make certain assumptions. So we actually made three scenarios. So in the first scenarios, uh, scenario we assume that the pandemic would recede away uh, in the next quarter, that is still September. And we are also assuming that government somehow would, able, would be able to neutralize the Lucas attack. Now in that, so that's the first scenario. In the second scenario, we assume that there could be another wave uh, of the COVID-19. Uh, and in that case, it may extend till December. Uh, and in the first, which is the worst case scenario, it may extend to the uh, third quarter of the fiscal year 20. So that is March 2021. And that is the most pessimistic scenario. Now using these scenarios, uh, we come up with the growth projections. So in the first case where we assume that situation would be better till September, we assume for the next fiscal year, the growth would be around 1.33%. Now the government uh, with the same assumption Say that they are going to get a growth of 2%, which we think is highly unlikely with the current uh, situation. Uh, in the second scenario, if the situation extends till December and we also face the Lucas attack, uh, the next year, in the next fiscal year, we would have a growth of actually 0%. And if it extends to March, then we would have a growth of minus 1.5%. So the economy would further contract. Now, this what happens is that. Uh, Look, looking, uh, keeping in mind the worst case scenario, uh, our tax revenue that we project is that it would be around 11.7%, uh, uh, and our deficit would be 10.4%. Uh, and as Khalid Saab mentioned, the developing countries are actually locating just around 1% to 2%. In our pessimistic case, our projection is that we would be locating around 1%, actually less than 1%, 0.9%. Uh, so our inflation would be between six to nine percent because of the decrease in the aggregate demand, uh, whereas there would there could be pressure on the exchange rate and could, ra could range between 166 to 185. In the next uh, uh, quarter, we expect that there could be an increase in the remittances, but if the slowdown, uh, the global slowdown continue, uh, we can uh, see a decrease of four to five percent in remittances, and that's going to uh, have an adverse effect on our trade balance. Now, with this worst case scenario, if we have a contraction in growth in the next year, uh, our poverty would reach to 34%. Uh, that would mean 75 million people in poverty. And our unemployment, including the layoff, would reach around 17 million. And when it comes to the youth unemployment, it could range between seven to nine million, whereas the women unemployment could be around 5.3 million. Now, this is important. These numbers are important because, as the co-panelists mentioned, that we need to have a higher percentage of uh, uh, allocated for the COVID expenses. These are, we need to keep in mind the situation. Our poverty will increase, the unemployment will increase, the youth unemployment would increase, and that could actually result in social unrest. So that's, that is something we need to keep in mind. Now, uh, more importantly, 
because of the closure of the uh, schools and, and, and education institutions, so we already have more than 20 million out of school children, but with the closure, more than 55 million people, uh, children have been affected. Now from the human capital index, we, uh, we know that the average schooling in Pakistan is uh, around eight years, but if you adjust for the quality, it is around 4.5, sorry, 4.7 years. And if you bring in the COVID impact, if they, the school is closed, uh, there could be a reduction in this by 18%. So the situation is very worse in terms of the human capital uh, situation. And because we're economists, we need to actually monetize this. So what is the, what, what is the loss uh, because of this closure? Uh, if it extends till March and we see the reduction, so we see that the lifetime earning loss per individual would be around 33,000, uh, uh, 3300 US dollar. And if we aggregate it for the aggregate income uh, foregone because of this, it could range from 78 to 182 billion dollars. So this closure, reduction in education, uh, would actually have a future loss in income to the economy. Now this situation is, uh, you know, uh, very worse. And uh, I agree with the points that the Copenhagen raised, but we also need to uh, see that where would that money come from. Uh, so we also have some suggestions. Uh, it's not just the uh, stimulus from the uh, government expenses, but also we need to look at the tax tax structure. So we have a lot of taxes, especially withholding taxes, uh, and some of the withholding taxes actually just increase the compliance cost. So for example, uh, there are around 45 withholding taxes that contribute less than 1% of the uh, revenue uh, in the in the income tax. So why don't we remove that? Because removal of that would uh, reduce the compliance cost and the income that is reduced. If the businesses reinvest them through the multiplier effect, there would be further growth in the economy and we can actually earn more. And there could be also an increase in the revenue. Uh, similarly, we can also have, uh, you know, the employment guaranteed scheme. So for a simple uh, calculation, if let's say we want to give an employment for around, for uh, let's say 2 million people, and if we want to give them a minimum wage of 70, uh, 17,500, that for four months or 120 days, that would cost around 140 billion uh, rupees. So, and now the, the, the thing is how we would employ them, if there are educated individuals, we can actually engage them in educating other people. And if there are unemployment, uh, if there are uneducated youth, we can uh, engage them in, in infrastructure projects. So in some way we are employing them, but we are doing something that can actually pay off in the future. Thank you. Nasir Sahib, thank you very much. Good uh, time. And Nadim, uh, could I just make a quick comment on the numbers? Go ahead. Uh, actually, my own thinking is that the, mm -hmm. the final impact of COVID on Pakistan is going to be much larger than what the numbers were just presented. IMF is estimating a 5% drop in GDP globally. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the World Bank has talked about 100 million new poor. The mm -hmm. FAO has talked about 130 million people, newly hunger, hungry people. Huh? So my says, you know, these things take lags. So my suspicion is that actually this year you're talking about a recession, maybe a severe recession. So one, two percent, I don't, I don't think that's going to work out. But I just want to give you a certain context in looking at the numbers. 
Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. If I could also uh, respond, uh, Nadeem, very quickly in a minute. Um, I think it, I was going to mention this is an excellent idea, the employment guarantee scheme, um, where you um, guarantee, uh, let's say, 220 year, uh, 20 days of the year employment to those who are unemployed. And you focus on the rural sector, particularly, uh, and ask people to help build uh, a rural infrastructure. You know, there are a large number of Kacha water channels that have broken down. Uh, you know, the canal uh, lining is uh, in terrible shape. We're losing a huge amount of water during transportation. You know, our, our irrigation efficiency is down to about 37%. And so I think if you employ people to uh, use labor intensive methods of uh, reconstructing your uh, irrigation infrastructure, that will be a big achievement and you'll also be generating a large number of jobs. Uh, the, the other thing I think uh, the, the point was very, by the way, it's an excellent presentation, uh, Mohammed uh, Nassar Sahib, I really enjoyed your thoughts. Uh, your question of where will the money come from, this 2,000 billion, there's no way that the government can spend 5% of the GDP on restructuring and uh, uh, the economy and pulling it out of COVID unless we get, uh, uh, get uh, rid of the debt, uh, get st debt stock. Uh, at the moment, debt servicing alone is, uh, constitutes about 45% of total government revenue. Uh, so unless we get uh, some kind of uh, debt moratorium uh, for the next two to three years, you, uh, uh, this kind of money of 2,000 billion a year can't be spent. And as Nadeem has earlier on uh, shown very clearly uh, through his own research, and I've been, uh, I support that idea, which is that in the next two to three years, Pakistan can take measures to uh, get uh, uh, rid of his debt stock altogether. Uh, rather than just get debt relief. And that we can do by uh, leasing out to large property de developers uh, uh, internationally, leasing out uh, a prime urban land which the government owns and which is not really generating much income. In every city, you have hundreds of acres, probably thousands of acres of prime urban land uh, which is uh, uh, just lying waste. You, you've got old fashioned offices sitting there or just blank land. You know, if, if you have a private company and the company uh, uh, builds up such a huge debt that it gets paralyzed, then the logical thing for the company is to restructure its capital assets, either sell them or uh, restructure them so that they start generating income. That's what Pakistan should do with, the, with their own assets. At the same time, I think it's important to stop this hemorrhaging uh, of the exchequer as a result of these uh, white elephants that we've got, these state-owned enterprises uh, like PIA, you know, which is uh, uh, through its incompetence, not only killing people, but is actually uh, um, depriving the taxpayers money uh, of billions of dollars, uh, billions of rupees every year because of its losses. So I think uh, entities, uh, state-owned entities like the PIA and others need to be sold as quickly as possible. And we make, and the government needs to make a law under which all revenues earned from the sale of state assets will go into the retirement of debt. 
once you got rid of the debt stock, it's not such a huge debt stock. You know, I mean, a, a large American company has this kind of asset, 120 billion. It's not such a huge amount. Uh, and, it, and, and we've got huge resources. Uh, and the point is that if you retire your debt, then you win the fiscal space uh, to do the kinds of things that all three of us have been talking about. Okay, thank you, folks. I think we'll go to the floor. But before I do that, let me ask both you, Khaled and Akman. I mean, I hear what you're saying, and I appreciate what you're saying, and I like what you're saying. But where is this $5 billion going to come from? I mean, I can't resist my MF background. I have to think of the financing. And I know the world is not a kind place. Nobody's going to give us a debt moratorium. Debt is there, and we have to pay it. The second issue that I don't understand is, we built so much. We built everything under the sun. We've got a huge, we've got Punjab Education Foundation. We've got even a Punjab Population Innovation Fund. We've even got a Punjab Skills Development Fund. We've got a NAFDEG, which is skill development. We've got a TEVTA, which is skill development. We've got agencies coming out of our ears. We've got the Board of Investment. We've got Punjab Board of Investment. Every province has them. We've got a PPIB. Every province has one. We've got, God knows how many agencies. Are you telling me that just building another agency or telling the government to do it will do it? Does the government have the capacity? Does the government have the ability to do any of the things that you're suggesting? So, A, the financing, to the capacity. Uh, actually, let, you know, let me, the, the, the problem okay, let, is not that the government doesn't have capacity. Let, let Khalid go first and you can come. <laughs> I, I think uh, uh, I'm so glad that uh, we have a former IMF person asking the right questions. Where is the money coming from? Uh, I think the whole argument is that uh, in a crisis of this magnitude, what is COVID is experiencing globally, these rules do not matter. Okay. If the US can go up to a huge debt levels, as if debt doesn't matter, it's absolutely correct. Debt doesn't matter when you are declining as an economy. You have to increase the aggregate demand. And in our case, in Pakistan, you also have to affect the supply condition because Increasing aggregate demand and supply doesn't move also will have inflationary uh, impact. So I'm not too worried about uh, deficit financing. Now, because of the very particular nature of Pakistan and the IMF uh, uh, program, you know, if you look at even the research department of the IMF, there's some very good people who are arguing the, exactly the point I'm trying to make, that this is the time to not to worry about debt. This is the time to recover from uh, a sharp depression and I'll give you a very simple example. If your economy is growing, you can manage almost any level of debt. If your economy is going down, you cannot manage any level of debt. It's as simple as that. You have to grow in order to allow uh, returns to come in so that you can grow more. And the reverse is true. And this is the basic uh, tenet of what uh, Keynes said a long time ago. So I, I, I'm not too worried, and that's the point uh, we made in this uh, 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 article with uh, 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 Jean Paul Fitosi. Fitosi was, you know, the, the leader with the standard sticklers of the Sarkozy Commission, and he chairs the high-level panel uh, and the OECD with the sticklers as well. So we are trying to argue not just for Pakistan, but everywhere, that do not worry about debt at this point. These are, you know, there were all these uh, academic articles which turned out to be wrong about what should be the desired level of debt. 80%, 90% is drying higher than others. Didn't make any sense once you look at the, the papers more carefully. So I, I'm not too worried about it. And Pakistan should definitely not worry about it either. 
Yeah, my, my response to uh, Nadeem's uh, very fertile questions uh, is twofold. One is that, you know, uh, when you worry about debt, you, you're basically not looking at absolute numbers, you're looking at the debt GDP ratios. Uh, now the numerator is high and gets worrisome if the, if the denominator is low. If, if you accelerate growth uh, and increase your total GDP, increase the size of the numerator, then the debt GDP ratio will, uh, will decline, even at the present high levels. Uh, so I think the challenge really is to uh, generate high rates of growth that is based on the middle classes and the poor rather than on the basis of the elite. So that in the, you not only generate growth, you, but, but you generate growth on the basis of equality rather than inequality. And uh, I think with that kind of a program, you'll get a lot of sympathy internationally. Uh, I think while we're, uh, uh, while we're sort of designing these strategies, we, the government needs to approach uh, international agencies to ask for some kind of debt write-off. Uh, uh, in order, you know, now there's a very clear trade-off. We either spend the kind of money you're talking about to save lives, or we service our debts. There's a clear trade-off between money and human life. I think if you if you approach the international organizations, you might be able to get some kind of relief from them. But you need to follow that up with practical measures, which Dr. Nadeemullah Haq himself has pioneered, in fact, earlier on in the earlier years. Uh, and which are fantastic suggestions, you know, that you, you take four or five major cities, uh, look at the, the government-owned land in prime localities, which is lying useless, and what you do is you, you just lease that land out to property developers. That land will develop at the same time you'll get money from the leasing out and, and you know, you help to retire your debt. What should prevent you from doing that? And the secondly, what is preventing you from selling it? selling state-owned enterprises which are which are taking the blood out of your treasury the hemorrhaging the treasury and also taking the blood out of people uh, by killing them through through incompetent pilots and incompetent civil aviation authorities and just to add quickly uh, next week pakistan is becoming the president of ecosoc economic and social council of the un and in this uh, munir akram the ambassador uh, is taking up the issue of debt forgiveness formally sure. and to get an initiative to encourage other governments and institutions, including the IMF, to do the same. So this is, there's a huge momentum going on internationally to do exactly that, to try to get debt under some control and to even talk about debt forgiveness for some countries. So. Great, wonderful. Let's go to the floor. Nizam Saab, Nizam Saab, what would you like to say? I was completely mesmerized by the presentation of Akmal Saab. Complete debt program for Pakistan's development. And then Nadeem Al-Aq Saab said, we have all those things available. The PEF, the NEFTAC, the TEFTAS. Problem is, my argument is that money, money should not be a problem. The implementation of money, the use of money that we are wasting and not using, that's the problem. Education sector had money, but didn't, didn't spend it. Our education sector, Punjab, only spent 
of the allocated money that they get every year. 40%, they don't even spend it year after year after year. Money is not the issue. The issue is how to implement what you plan. For example, the, now I'm working in the private sector. What I'm seeing in the private sector that they're getting rid of the visiting scholars, visiting faculty, because they don't need visiting faculty. But they're, through the technology, they're using their own regular faculty now. That might become a trend. Same thing about public sector universities also use visiting faculty, almost 20%. They may also get rid of them. What we need to do, build the school system and the education, agriculture sectors, Akmal Sab said. Our agriculture sector and health sector, my proposal would be, based on my experience, go to the Iran model, have every village a health house. Not health center we don't need, we need a health house. We need an education house in every village. We can't have, we cannot wait for primary school building. Building will take five years to build. But then this number of school will be multiplied. So my suggestion would be immediately go for each village to build a health house, education house. These two factors you can right away take care. And health house can also talk about population reproductive health service programs as well, which we badly needed. We are 23% un unmet demand in Pakistan. If you build a health house, provide them services and supplies, coupled with a, with a, with a visiting mobile units, you can really do this, get rid of all these workers and officers that you have developed in the Ministry of Population Welfare or the Ministry of Education. Just go to the village, have every village a school, every village a health house. That will be the problem. Plus the agriculture side, Akmal Sab has talked about it. I'll talk to Akmal Sab separately because I was really very much influenced by his total package that he produced, for which, and believe me, you don't need money. You have money in Pakistan, just use it properly. That's my argument. Wonderful. Great. Gee, anybody else? Uh, Akmal Khalid, do you want to say anything on it? Well, I, I think uh, Nizam has put a very important point uh, there that, um, you know, if you look at healthcare, the biggest uh, impact on health outcomes is not at the tertiary level, meaning hospitals, but at the primary level. And if you can strengthen the primary level, whether we call it health units or, units or houses, you know, the Barefoot uh, Doctor Program China, which has very little investment in, had a huge impact on, on mortality rates. And if you combine that water supply and sanitation, that's the way to actually improve the health care of a lot of people, as opposed to looking after a small number, which will never be able to meet that demand. So I think it's a question of reorienting all of this, but you still need money to do many of these things. Huh? Akmal? Akmal, unmute yourself. Unmute yourself. And Nizam Sahib has raised some fa fascinating follow-up points on how uh, things can be done. Um, and I agree with him that we still have a lot of money. It's a question of using it. But, you know, the absolute amount of money required for the kinds of initiatives we're taking uh, cannot be spent unless we get... Uh, uh, rid of this huge burden of debt servicing, which is consuming 55% of total tax revenue. Immediately get either either get a, a, a total debt write-off, debt forgiveness, if you want to call it that, or uh, do the kind of thing that Nadeem has been arguing over the last many years, which is to sell uh, those assets or lease out those assets which are not currently utilizing in the major urban 
uh, centers uh, through leasing out to property developers. And please, for God's sake, sell state-owned enterprises which are earning large losses and providing very poor services to the people. If you do that, you will be able to get rid of your total debt stock. Baki, I think there's one very important thing to uh, understand on the agriculture side, which is that the international agencies are now predicting uh, not only this COVID, but they're now pre predicting a major famine globally because of supply constraints. You know, the, the supply chain in the agriculture sector has been upset uh, by the uh, COVID-19 crisis. And I think Pakistan needs to secure its grain production uh, by going to the small farmer, and, and I, as I said, you know, in making sure that the small farmers get the uh, the, the right quality, the good quality fertilizer, the good quality seed, the pesticides, and they are, are an, they are provided enough uh, water for the, the crops so that they can produce adequate quantities of of uh, wheat and rice. Uh, we must secure an iron ration of grain the following year if we are to avoid a famine. You know, uh, this year we were thinking of importing grain. Next year, it may not be possible to import grain because uh, of the global shortage. And grain prices would either become extremely high, which you won't be able to afford, or uh, a, a grain supply simply may not be available in the international market. So we need to put our act together on the agriculture side very quickly. Mr. Memon, sir? Mr. sir? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I, I think it was great to hear all the very educated, researched views and very firm views. And I think the solutions are there. I would only like to add one thing is that we have a base of IT. Thank God somewhere we did provide this that today we are, despite the fact that we are all locked down, we are linked up. So I think uh, we need to take this for the education, like somebody mentioned about the mobile dispensaries and education. I think we need to build up very strong information technology, which I think Dr. Akmal can appreciate a lot that we can have the, because we can't take the specialists to the rural areas. And I think I agree that our entire focus should be the rural economy, the rural people who hardly have a decent living. They don't even have a human living. They, we know what kind of water they drink and we don't have any facilities. So I think education and health could be brought to them, a specialized thing. So this is one thing we need to build up. Now my question to, not to the panel, but to Nadeem, who's part of the panel leading it, uh, is that we have been talking about for quite some time. And I think there is a matter of urgency. Whatever your researchers and you and your panelists have been saying, I think this now needs to be put up as an alternate economy. Because it's good to say that we will tell the government. Yes, we have been telling the government. We have all been telling the government for uh, years and years. Now, question is, how do we really implement it? That is my question. And my suggestion will be that why don't you lead the whole effort and put the entire thing post-COVID economy and then it's just like you have a product in the agriculture in the rural but there is no marketing done. I think you need to market it by way of 
going around each of the governments, which means all the provincial governments and the federal government, and insist on them. You have a panel, you have the specialist, and you prepare an alternate economy post-COVID immediately. Because I think if you leave it like this discussion, I am afraid then uh, after a few months we'll be sitting and we'll be saying, well, we said it, but nothing happened. I leave it to that. Thank you. Yeah, you know, if I may, if I may just uh, take 30 seconds to thank Nadeem, Dr. Nadeem Ulhaq, uh, for organizing a series of excellent uh, webinars. And, you know, this is uh, apart from his uh, curiosity, uh, creative curiosity, which he's retained since his school days. Uh, his other great uh, attribute is that uh, he uh, is willing to initiate a debate, uh, even though he disagrees with most of the people on the other <laughs> side. I mean, I, I disagree with Nadeem very strongly, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by how open he is. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's had this whole series of debates. Uh, but I think you're right. It's about time that, uh, you know, these debates and the conclusions that have been arrived at should be translated into some kind of serious policy paper. White can probably do it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have connections. Uh, you have connections with the government. Uh, and, you know, this, this is a kind of alternative perspective on how to get out of uh, the COVID crisis and, and rebuild an, a different kind of economy, an economy for the people. Uh, and I think uh, uh, the aim can lead that that effort as well. You know, the writing part of it. Can, no, can I add uh, to uh, this uh, praise of Nadim, Dr. Nadim uh, You know, if you look at the, the Chinese agriculture, uh, there is a book I've written on China. Uh, if you look at Chinese agriculture, most of agriculture is actually small farmer-led. There are no large farms in China, but the per Hector productivity is very high. China, will you believe it or not, you can go to Delhi and find in the flower markets flowers sent from Kunming in China. They've taken over these markets uh, globally. So it is possible to unleash the capabilities of small farmers, but you have to do it right. And part of the right stuff is to give them the support they need to make it happen. The farmers in China don't even own their farm. They only have long leases on it. So, you know, there are a lot of issues there unless we change our mindset. And as Akmal said, try to focus on people themselves, to empower them to do a better job. This thing will not work. And that's fundamentally about development. We have to break out of this very cyclical approach in Pakistan of improving a little bit and going down a little bit, improving a little bit, going down a little bit. So it's time to unleash the creative energies of people. Huh? But look, I'd like, to, I'd like to still bring you back to something. Parallel with us, there is a webinar going on with Darren Asimoglu. And Darren Asimoglu talks about extractive institutions. I'm sure both of you will agree that Pakistan has extractive institutions. Now, the question is, an extractive institution, can we overlay a welfare paradigm that you guys are proclaiming, that you guys are suggesting? Or do we have to first change the extractive institutions? And there, the question that I would have for Darren Asimogli if I was there was, how do you change the extractive institutions? So I would like to you to comment on this. Um, 
Is this agenda even possible in a country like Pakistan? Well, let, achieved... me, let me give you a slightly alternate view to uh, Samo Global. In the 2014 uh, Global Human Development, we did a lot right. of uh, econometric work to look at, uh, you know, the idea was that if you open up an economy, trade will just take off the economy. Huh? And when we look at all the data, you mm -hmm. found that opening to the world markets is good only if you have one condition, which is if your people are educated and have healthcare. If you don't have that, you can have a worse off situation. So I think rather than have this big debate of extractive industries or extractive institutions, it is, re it is true that in Pakistan, you can argue that if the elite is not interested in development, it's going to be very difficult to have those policies to lift people out of poverty. And we can have a long debate about these things. But unfortunately, in a, in a situation which Pakistan is in now, we have to deal with the present situation. The present situation is that we hope Pite can play its uh, um, amazingly important role in convincing policymakers to shift ground, especially when there's a huge crisis like this. And if you don't shift ground, you're going to be much worse off. And I think you're talking about an economy which is cratering dramatically. Uh, but, but we do not know the details and the numbers as yet fully. So we have to find a way to, in a suboptimal way, get out of the situation. We understand, of course, that uh, our policy, politicians uh, basically came from the rural class, uh, basically became industrialists. So the incentive for them to develop, to improve the conditions of poor people is not high. We understand that. But we have to find some way out of this conundrum. And that we are hoping that through these conversations and through uh, Nadeem's leadership of, uh, of, of Pied, we can find some ways of opening up that uh, space for proper decision-making and proper policy-making. And it, it doesn't matter we, if, how do we, if policies uh, are all not uh, how right. Do we, how, we, how do we deal the, with the capacity issue? I'm still concerned that our government, I'm still concerned that governments who don't have the ability to implement even a simple thing like the energy policy, how can the, that government possibly implement all that you Yeah, but take, take an, again an alternate view. You, there's argument being made that good institutions do not necessarily precede development. Good institutions tend to come after development. So you cannot argue easily, as many have done, that you need good institutions to develop. Where will they come from? And there's a whole view that if you educate society, if you move forward, uh, they, the institution gets better. So there's a lot of debate on these matters. So I, I don't want to get stuck in, uh, uh, in some ways, ultimately theoretical considerations. We have a practical challenge that you have an economy Fair about point. to create in Pakistan. Now, Sir Iqbal, you want to say something? Nasir Iqbal? Yes, sir. Can you hear me, sir? Yes, sir. The real issue is like... Uh, we can hear you now. As Khaira Saab asking about the, like, the, whether we have to focus on the institutions or the development, what would be the first priority? So there is a, like, a, a paper by Agris Fadia. He was like a research economist at Pied, and he basically reviewed this whole debate and the path dependency and tried to dig into the, the whole issue of underdevelopment in the South Punjab and interior Sindh and linked with the institutional uh, backing of this whole exercise. So the 
and he gives a like an alternative solution so like they are like a very rigid to change but if we educate our society that would be the first step and this would give an incentive uh, to to these people that uh, these are the institution where there is a, a less rent to the politicians and when there is a less rent they are like uh, there is a less opposition to reform these institutions so we have to start from reforming our institution system uh, education system and that ultimately lead to what the development and one comment to the the point that basically raised by dr akmal that we have to privatize and sell all the soes that will give an uh, like uh, a boost to economic activities if the underlying assumption is that the the government basically is not equipped enough to implement the policies then we are suggesting another free lunch to these government so they are earning a, like a free money by selling these entities and if they are not like uh, they have they don't have enough capacity to implement the existing structure how we can say that after selling these soes and the income that they are the coming from these resources would be converted into the development activities probably that will be diverted into unproductive sectors and still we will be trapped in the same situation so this might not be an optimal solution can can i quickly comment in the hello yeah khalid you go ahead and then i'd like yeah. to respond to yeah. the team as well right okay. second so, can we just take can we just take two more comments and you guys can do it sure, so that we sure, finish sure. right zara aftab zara you going to speak yes you can you hear me we can hear you fine go ahead okay so yeah, i just want to mention that in this uh, uh, in this age there there can be online systems implemented to improve transparency and to prevent pilferage so perhaps if uh, i i mean i i'm not a technician here but i'm sure there there have been similar projects in india and uh, we could at a local level try to institute such such a scheme that as as implementation occurs uh, in real time it is posted on the website and there is better monitoring okay. that's Fair. it mahmud khalid sir do you want to say anything mahmud khalid has his hand, his hand up now he's gone uh nay nice, sir uh, sir sir Uh, so my question is very simple uh, dr akmal hussain have talked about the universal access to basic services such as health education so i believe this could be the one element which can go into a long term phase of improvement where everybody has the same kind of a startup point rather than having a differentiated initial points so i think if that alone uh, can be implemented can lead towards uh, many good things in future Okay, go ahead, Khalid. Yeah, I I think uh, let me just I'm sorry to keep drawing upon Chinese experience, but let me tell you something I was directly involved in. Uh, China came to us when I was there at the UN there to help them design a performance uh, system, which will put mm. outcomes, education, uh, social development, growth, as the 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 performance measurement of. soon service senior servants uh, governors vice governors so on and so forth you know when you make the future of these civil servants dependent on 
real development progress, it changes incentives dramatically. You cannot imagine the pressure created by that. It may be even unfair pressure. So if the minute you introduce a system, a very simple system, which says that this governor or this deputy commissioner will only get promoted if his zilla or tasil actually improves, you'll see that they'll be the first ones to push development. But this requires a fair amount of political courage to make it happen. Uh, it is possible and it has been done. The second thing is, you know, transparency is very important, but you have to minimize uh, rent-seeking uh, uh, behavior. And the rent-seeking behavior is to put everything on the web so that people don't have to interact with uh, police services or with the uh, social services that much, except through an internet-based system, which allows them to manage it easily. So there are all kinds of uh, experiences globally which could be uh, harvested for that. But the fundamental issue remains that in the end, there are no perfect policies. You must learn, to, you must learn from your mistakes. You must learn to do your own homegrown measures. And I'll give you one, I'll, I'll end with this one example. The World Bank and the IMF have been telling us for the last 40 years, do not subsidize uh, agriculture sectors. But there's not a single historical case where agriculture has gone up without subsidies, and that includes developed countries. So somehow, this whole question of uh, uh, balanced budgets and subsidies has gone out of whack. And we have to find a way which is very practical. In the end, you have to support systems. You have to support institutions, may not be perfect institutions. You have to support incentives, may not be perfect incentives. But over time, if you make the future of these civil service depend on their performance and their progress, not, not performance in terms of their own contribution, but rather the performance of their, their seals and their zillas, you'll find a shift in perspectives, which is well documented in other countries as well. If I, can, Nadeem, if I can respond to Nadeem's uh, uh, two very important issues he's raised. Uh, I don't quite agree with Khalid that institutional change should follow development. I think uh, institutional change in Pakistan. Uh, by, by the way, especially... uh, Akmal, this is the only time Akmal has disagreed with me. So just let <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what, what I'm saying is that uh, if you have an institutional structure of the kind in Pakistan, which is extractive in nature, as Asim Oglu and others uh, have said, um, then uh, a necessary condition for going forward is precisely to uh, change that institutional structure. The point, however, is where do we make the start? Because you know we're at, we have on our hands probably the gravest human and economic crisis that this country has ever faced. Indeed, the world has ever faced. And so this is an opportunity for transformative initiatives we need to take initiatives across four fronts. We need to take an initiative. We need to change the incentive system for the bureaucracy, restructure the bureaucracy, change the incentive system. I assure you that there is huge talent in the bureaucracy sitting right now. I've been teaching them for the last four decades. And I can tell you there's huge talent there. And it's a question of directing that talent, giving them the right incentives, giving them a fair deal, giving them uh, uh, recognition, and uh, the bureaucracy will start behaving differently. 
The other thing is that, you know, this business about creating institutions that we have done of, of big mafias in the in sugar and in, in, in wheat and even in manufacturing industry, uh, the, the government, this is a time for the government to restructure those institutions. We have to redesign the economy in such a way that we generate growth that is based on the enterprise and capabilities of human beings. And all the structural changes that are required to move in that pro-poor growth uh, direction, pro-poor growth direction, we need to undertake those changes. You won't have a crisis of this magnitude, hopefully in the near future. This is the time to, to, to take desperate steps because it is a desperate situation. Okay. There are two ways in which you can deal with it. You know, you can either uh, take minimal steps uh, and wait for things to improve on their own uh, and let things carry on pretty much as they were before COVID, or you can take transformative actions uh, in getting out of the COVID crisis. And these transformative actions are what we pointed to, uh, but I agree with Nadeem and the other institutional economists. I've been arguing this for a long time. Uh, Simultaneously with the other structural changes, we need to uh, do something about these extractive institutions. Can I just, uh, not, I don't want Nadeem, uh, Nadeem or uh, Akbal to feel that uh, I was arguing for poor institutions. To the contrary, I think institutions matter. And, but the, the historical evidence is that they get better as development happens. So you do not start with perfect institutions. And that's the whole point. No, not to get obsessed by designing perfect institutions. We will learn and adapt and adjust as we move along. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. But you Nasir want to start sir, improving them. I haven't uh, come to you, Nasir Sahib. Please, you don't know about the estimates of the World Bank or global estimates. So, comment on that. discussion here, whatever you like, you can talk because then we have to kind of. Uh, Thank you, sir. Uh, a few scattered points. Khalid uh, he mentioned about the IMF projections. Uh, in fact, our projections, uh, the IMF projection for the next year growth is actually 1% for Pakistan. So I understand for the global economy, the projections are worse, but for Pakistan, they're projecting that uh, it will achieve a 1% growth. Uh, whereas the uh, World Bank projection for the next year is uh, minus 0.2%. Our worst case scenario sh shows that there will be contraction of minus 1.5%. Uh, so I think what you are saying is uh, there could be worse situation because of course these are projections depending on uh, different assumptions and because the situation is very, very fluid. We don't know but for now, Compared to the uh, IFI's projections, our projection, the worst case scenario, it shows that our economy would contract uh, by 1.5%. Uh, Dusiji said the, the thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, when we talk about uh, getting this money for the stimulus package, I understand the institutional reforms, but, but you know, because of the political economy and all these situations, I don't see these to be a short term measure. This will go to, of course, the parliament and, you know, all this debate and going on. Of course, this is an opportunity and we should do it, but it will take time. But what we need right now and quickly is to kickstart the economy. And for this, we need to do something that is being agreed upon in the parliament as well. 
so uh, i agree on pso uh, soes jo hai of course these are burden on the economy but not just that but also the the tax expenditure jo exemptions we are giving the sros and everything except for the health and education and that too should be part of the policy instead of ke ji jab aapki marzi ho you give the sros and uh, create distortion in the economy that shouldn't be there teesri cheez sir jo releasing the like getting the money for the kick starting in the stimulus package i think we can also reduce the interest rate so, uh, state bank has reduced it uh, till 7% but there is i think still scope for reducing it till 4 to 5% wahan se bhi hame kuch release mil sakta hai i think using these and then ek aur point sir mai add karna chahunga us bank ke ji even if you want to start even if you want to invest even if you start want to start a business is it that easy in pakistan if you look at the the, the amount of regulations aapko ek puri permission economy hai you go and you take permission from this uh, institution and then the other and then the other and it's not just the number of permissions or nocs that you get the the amount of time that you spend in taking and getting that uh, permission is huge so even if you have capital even if you have intentions even if you have capability would these over would this over regulated economy allow you to 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 function to to come to the farmer sector and invest and grow pehle to hame unko reduce karna chahiye i think these are some of the short term measures that we need right now and the the institutional reforms broad jo hai this could be medium to long term uh, 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 steps thank you sir very good folks um well I guess we've come to the end of the session. Thank you very much, folks. I think it's been a wonderful session. Thank you, Khalid Akmal Nasir, for making yourself available. I think uh, you, you guys have always elevated the debate when you come in. It's a fundamental uh, debate that we should have: the extent of the welfare state and the capacity to get it, the how to have have growth happen, where the growth comes first, welfare comes first, the institutions comes first. I think this is these are subjects that we should all debate endlessly. this is the meat of economics the heart of economics so thank you very much for giving us this opportunity and inshallah we will call you again and again because we need to discuss these issues again and again pib is trying to work on these issues and i would invite all of you to help us work on these issues as you said present work to the government we try and do that every day but they said unfortunately our government doesn't have ears our government doesn't have um the thinking capacity of government doesn't want to engage with us a government doesn't want to engage with the intellectual community or anything they just occasionally invite you to a task force or a committee and forget about it so that's what i mean by the ability to do things i think the capacity issues are enormous world bank adb undp undp has spent a lot of money on doing a lot of work in pakistan government world bank adb etc etc we set up agency after agency there are about 10000 agencies all over the place as i said we got i learned the other day we got a population innovation fund i don't know what innovation is in population but there is innovation happening in population this was a, a different funded project we've got raftar on taxation we've got andaz or karandaz or whatever so we've got thousands of institutions we are not short of agencies I wish agencies could create welfare and growth, but I'm puzzled. I don't know how to do it. I am not giving you any answers. I'm giving you questions. I'm giving you my puzzles. Thank you very much, folks. Inshallah, we will join you again. 
Thank you very much, Nadeem. And everybody, thank you. Allah Hafiz.